everyone. Welcome to Say What Needs Saying. I'm Zach. I'm here with Brandon, and we're here shooting our first non-live episode. We want to just kind of jump into some conversation. We want to have these sidebars just to talk about a touchy subject, something that's in the news or current that we may or may not agree on, but that we both can bring some different perspectives to the table on will just kind of provide a template for how you can talk about these things with someone else. So I am a white conservative with libertarian leanings. Uh, Brandon is a black moderate with uh, liberal leanings. And so we've got some different perspectives some different political beliefs. And so we're going to see how that ties into the subject of today. If you haven't already, Give our first episode a listen. We talked about what we're hoping to do with this podcast, how we're trying to spark conversation about these topics. That'll kind of give some background on why we're doing the conversations that we're doing from here on out. And we actually also have regularly scheduled meetings on our Zoom calls, so you can actually facilitate the conversation along with us, so you can truly get this integrated feel and this idea of how we can really establish this conversation live, and then we'll post it from there. And it's always anonymous. Yeah, so our next one is going to be Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be talking about the Supreme Court decisions that have been made recently on employment law and how those things relate to freedom of religion and, and things like that. And so we're kind of honing in on, on religion and politics specifically, jumping into some of those topics. As far as today goes, today we're going to focus on Black Lives Matter. Right, and we're going to just chat. None of this is scripted or rehearsed. We're just talking about how we feel about Black Lives Matter, how we feel about the movement, phrase, the organization, the, the street painting. You know, we'll kind of just touch on various aspects of it. And as a, dis- as a disclaimer, none of this is fact. We're not professionals in this sector whatsoever. <laughs> we're just uh, another American sharing our opinions. From a, from a, I guess, a cool perspective. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Right? We're not, neither one of us are pretending to be experts. Um, neither one of us are politicians. Neither one of us are overly educated on a lot of the underlying issues or underlying aspects of this movement. No, um, we spoke for spokesmen for this. Uh... Yeah, for sure. And I specifically want to put out the disclaimer that clearly being white, I only have so much empathy that I can express for a lot of these issues, right? I don't understand a lot of it just because my upbringing is different, just because I didn't grow up black and didn't grow up with uh, a lot of the situations that are talked about in, in this organization and things like that. But and yeah. I and I, can, I equally cannot be a spokesperson, as you will hear throughout uh, this discussion, but I also can lend a assisted ear from the perspectives of you know different minorities and different groups. So yeah, let's just jump into it. I guess, Brandon, if, if you want to start, or I can, I guess, if you don't, no, but... No, I'll definitely you... start. If, go ahead, ask the question. So, so what comes to mind when you think, when you just hear the phrase Black Lives Matter? Mm-hmm. Right, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Or what Stop do you... painting the f***ing streets. That's the very first thing that comes to my mind. Paint one more street, and then we're going to have an issue. And the only reason why I say that is because Black Lives Matter, for what it wants to accomplish, and we'll get into that, for what it wants to accomplish... Painting a street where I can just die on the next day doesn't change the issue of what they're trying to protest. Right. It, yeah. it, it, it wastes tax dollars. It, it, it stirs up some type of controversy. And now it's a movement to unpaint it 
and then to paint it black and then to put art on it. First of all, we're still in COVID country. Why exactly do you feel it's right to congregate and paint shit? I never understood this phenomenon. And I understand uh, the language is slightly vulgar, but it's very uh, disheartening and irritating that another way of ignoring the issue is being played out in front of us. Yeah, no, honestly, I'm so I'm glad you made that point because I'm glad we can kind of start <laughs> somewhere that we agree. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's to me, it's completely virtue signaling, yep. right? It's showing that you want to come across like you care, like you're there for the movement, like you want to make a difference. But at the end of the day, painting Black Lives Matter on the street isn't going to save a single life. It's nope. just going to piss people off. It's just going to stoke the flames. And at the end of the day, it's not going to have any positive. Well, okay, I don't want to say any positive impact because sure, I you know, I can't speak for everyone, right? Someone may look out the window and be happy about seeing that on the street right Maybe. no i'm no no i can't see i can't even let you say that i'm not okay. even gonna let yeah. you try to no you have to be see this is what we're trying to facilitate yeah. the idea that you shouldn't have to be apologetic like i, I hear yeah. you trying to make it see no but when you look outside and someone sees that it's just not going to spark them to be less prejudiced or less big uh, less of a bigot or less of any type of thing that may affect the, the group that which it's painting on the Constitution says all people were created equally, and then we weren't even able to vote until deep into the life of the into the adolescence of the United States. You see what I'm saying? Like just right. because it's writing on a piece of parchment or writing on a piece of brown, that doesn't change the narrative. That doesn't change. That doesn't affect the physical society that we live in. Yeah, no, you're right, and you you caught me on on being apologetic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I agree. I think that the the painting of the streets is useless. I don't think I don't see any actual benefit that's going to come of it. None. So I think you know when I when I first hear Black Lives Matter, when it when I see it, or when someone says it to me, first thing that comes to my mind, honestly, is that it's not what people think it is. Correct. And I think that's, so someone walked into work the other day, and this is a little anecdotal, tangential too, but someone walked into work the other day with a, a mask that said Black Lives Matter, right? And that was, this is where I'm getting this from, is that was the first thing that crossed my mind, is you have no idea what you are wearing on your face. You have no idea what you're standing for and what you are supporting. How about, may I ask, uh, was, what was the demographic of the person? A uh, white female. So oh, pretty wow. Yeah. And it does, the reason why I ask, because it does make a difference. There's a, there's right. a perspective there. Mm -hmm. Right, for sure. So I think, and I think that's the reason, the, the meat of what I feel about Black Lives Matter is I think that, and I don't want to speak for all conservatives, but I think a lot of the animosity that comes from the movement is this this idea that no one knows what they're talking about. No one knows what they're supporting and what they actually stand for. Right. right. The Black Lives Matter organization has openly come out as trained neo-Marxists. They have. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. I will. Who has come out? Because this is the this is one of my personal issues with the Black Lives Matter movement. If mm -hmm. we were to go find uh, the Hell's Angels, we can find the leader of the Hell's Angels. If we were right. to even go find the head of the KKK, we can find that. That's a very easy Virginia roadmap search. In regards to the Black Lives Matter, when I first heard, it's uh it's, oh, what's the word? I guess it's uh, reanimation because it comes and goes in different uh, spurts right. of disagreements. And I was like, this can't end well, but this is one hell of a subject you can use to take it somewhere. Yeah. Because this something, or something that happened that I would 90% of the population would agree is egregious. Mm -hmm. And 
no one can take this anywhere. Like Martin Luther King and many of his constituents were people that can physically take it to a place. We, there's no one that can stand behind all of Black Lives Matter because anybody that, that, anybody that has a black skin pigmentation can go on Fox News and say, hey, I'm the leader of it. So if, if, so if someone said, you know, they're the, the, they come out as neo-Marxists, I guarantee you many of those people standing in those lines uh, protesting, sending those crowds are not neo-Marxists, at least the right. concept of that. Right. And so I agree. I think now more and more Black Lives Matter has become much more of a dispersed and leaderless movement um, with how widespread it's becoming. But so the specific person I was thinking of was, uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name right, but but Patrice Cullors, she was one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And she was one of the ones that came out and said that they were trained Marxists. And so there's that. And then there's the, in their mission statement, it says that they disrupt the, the what was it? The, the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Um, oh, so I think there's, there's two different, yeah. So I think there's two different ideas when people think Black Lives Matter, right? There's this dispersed and kind of everywhere movement that kind of anyone can identify with and say because they believe the statement Black Lives Matter. And then there's the organization Black Lives Matter. And I think that's where the discrepancy is and where a lot of conservatives get angry is that the organization is openly Marxist, is very openly uh, anti-Semitic in a lot of their statements and in a lot of their their official stances on things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is separate from most people. I think that's separate from what you were talking about, which is just the idea of Black Lives Matter, the, this concept that people are getting behind because they think that Black Lives Matter, right? Yeah. So I think that's where I think a lot of conservatives get mad is because they've hijacked this phrase that is right. a pretty common, commonly held belief, right? Anytime you say a phrase that you are petitioning behind, you're implicitly saying that there is a large population that doesn't agree with the phrase that you're saying, right? You know, stop okay. the war in Vietnam you're implicitly saying that there are a lot of people that don't want to stop the war in Vietnam. That's true. And I would say, I would say that comes in agreement with Black Lives Matter only because we've seen time and time again. So, okay, I, something that I enjoy referencing back to is the silent majority. Mm -hmm. And there's a level of silence that happens when it comes to certain crimes, certain regardless of crime, certain things that happen within different minority communities that I would say isn't spoken up about whatsoever. One example for why I, I guess, not necessarily defend, but why I support what Black Lives Matter mean to me is regards to um, Breonna Taylor. So I'm not sure if you've heard of, uh, yeah. I'm sure you've heard the name by now, mm -hmm. hashtag arrest Breonna Taylor's murders. Right. That whole concept is that, say, for instance, anybody, I've seen cops for 31, they just took it off after 31 years. Anybody that gets shot or anything like that, the cops are on it, everybody's on it, the guy gets prosecuted really quickly. Mm -hmm. Brianna Taylor got shot out by two officers. Her papers were hidden. Apparently she was alive even after the shooting and nothing was done. And they're still not arrested 101 days afterwards. That's right. that's the premise behind it. In regards to, and, and tying it back to what you were saying, there's a majority of people who believe that a, that a majority doesn't care for it. And I would say that the majority doesn't care for it because the majority cared for it. It would have been handled, period. It would already been handled. That's fair. And so I think, you know, I think I should make a distinction too between early Black Lives Matter and more recent Black Lives Matter, right? Very true. I think I and 
uh, frankly, a, a lot of other conservatives were probably much more on board with the movement early on when, you know, it started after, uh, started after Trayvon Martin, right? That was when they started. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of when it started. Yeah. Right. And then they spiked up a little bit again after Ferguson. And then, so it started as a very police brutality centric movement. Right. It started as very focused on police brutality and, and the killings of, of it black wasn't people. even it wasn't even police brutality at first. It was just uh, this, the judicial powers at B, mm-hmm. which included the police that didn't account for black lives. So the, in the Trayvon Martin case of where it was originated, George Zimmerman was not uh, he was not a cop. He was a regular guy that he actually called the cops and then the cops said, don't pursue. And then he chose to pursue, went to court. And the court said he was justified. That means that this black life didn't matter because of whatever reason, because he seemed scary and he had guns, but he didn't. He had a can of soda and some Skittles. Right. I could get behind that, right? I, I can get behind the sentiment and the mentality that there are obvious differentials in persecution, in sentencing, and in cases like this, right, where someone gets off scot free, you know, for killing, for killing. Oh, he definitely got, oh, he 100% got off scot free. He was able to sell the gun he shot Trayvon Martin with for $131,000. And, when, and, and then he sold, he painted a picture with him, with Trayvon on the American flag and sold that for over $200,000. When you're able to do that and live comfortably, then that's a form of silent acceptance. I always preach that silence is a form of acceptance. Right. And unfortunately, that's what we're seeing. And so like when it was, when it was happening back then, right, I, I can get behind that, right? And you're, you're making very good points, right, that there is a problem, right? There is something that needs to change. Right. And I think that whether you're talking about non-black on black violence or whether you're talking about police on black violence right i think that most people most rational and sound of thought people will agree with most of what we've been talking about so far right in in that equal protection and and treatment under the law is important and should be universal right exactly and that's what i think a point i thought about the other day is that in regards to it being universal, we just, uh, not we, but black people, minority people want to make just as many sins and mistakes as mm-hmm. white individuals do without a drastically different type of response. Right. Like if I get pulled, if you, say for instance, Zach, if you were to get pulled over, mm-hmm. your first thing in your mind, I don't think I may be wrong. The first thing in your mind is an, I might die right now. Yeah. My biggest fear right now is that if I get pulled over, the first thing in my head is I'm going to die right now. I can do everything right. And I've seen videos of it. That's the one thing about seeing videos that is very cut and dry. You know what I mean? That's the, the whole point is just to be able to have the same liberties, I guess, that, you know, white, why our white counterparts will have. Yeah. And so, you know, up until that point, you know, I, well, and including that point, you know, I'm on board, right? I'm on board. And I think that a lot of others are on board. What I'm more upset with is what it's turned into and how it's become more all-encompassing and including, I guess, other elements of the country and society to the point where now it seems like it's becoming a Trojan horse for, for leftist policies, right? Yeah, and for, yes, it is. Right, and for complete dismantling of the system. And so I think that's where the disconnect comes and where they lose a lot of people, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw the interview with Don Lemon and Terry Crews. Yes, I did. Um, right, so like stuff like that, where we're done. Well, okay, and so for anyone listening who didn't see it, basically Don Lemon and Terry Crews were doing an interview. Terry Crews was voicing his dissent and his anger about the fact that Black Lives Matter was focusing on a subset of Black lives and not focusing on many other Black lives that were lost. 
mm-hmm. through other means. And basically what Don Lemon was telling him was that that's not what the movement is about. The movement is about police brutality. If you want something like that to happen, to be covered, start a new movement and call it All Black Lives Matter. And I think that oh. that is shifted from what you just described Mm-hmm. From from the way you described it at the beginning, at its onset, it sounds more like what Terry Crews was describing, right, is that Black lives doesn't have to be about police. It doesn't have to be about something specific, but society doesn't care about Black lives. Right. They're lost in various ways. And so, sure, the argument kind of goes to Black-on-Black crime a little too often. Sure, it goes to, to drugs a little too often, right? And mm-hmm. so a lot of the, like, All Lives Matter crowd will jump to that stuff. And you know what, they're not wrong, right? Black on black crime is a big problem. And, you know, drugs and gang violence and things like that are big problems. But I think the the underlying message is that all black lives matter. And I think now we've shifted away from that to the point where it's it's simultaneously focused solely on police brutality and then also on the system as a whole that allows for these things to happen. There's no way to make that argument without calling for a complete destruction of the current system and a right. revamping of it, right? And that's, and that, go ahead, say it again. Well, I was just saying that I don't agree with, right? I don't right. think that's the solution. And I think the way that they're phrasing this right now, the way that they're going about talking about the problem, that's the only solution. I would say that one example of how a group took this narrative hijacked it and mm-hmm. and did what I guess people on different media outlets attempt to say that the Black Lives Matter is trying to do uh, without all the words there. Chaz, I'm not sure if you ever heard of Chaz yeah. or whatever name they want to use. They took Black Lives Matter, took over a city in Seattle. No Black people. I've seen, I don't know how many hashtags on hashtag Chaz. And the only Black person I've ever seen in any of those videos was probably George Floyd. It was the only Black person I've seen yeah. standing out there. And they shut down the city, they shut down the streets, they run, they ran themselves completely autonomously, did their own trading of foods and commerce and money and goods. And then they were like, you know, we're not going to do laws, we have our own laws. And the city hall gave themselves to the city of Chaz or to the mm-hmm. conglomerate of Chaz and killing started happening and robberies started happening. They stopped the police from coming in and then DHS, Department of Homeland Security, came and arrested everybody and everything went back to normal because that's not how you're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. However, I think we're dancing around a phrase, I've, I've heard it come through in different uh, utterances. What, when you hear, because I'm gonna try my best to use something I've heard from uh, Jocko, I forgot his last name or his first name. I just know him as Jocko. Um, he was a, uh, I believe he was a uh, Navy SEAL. Yeah, yeah, Jocko, yeah. I can't remember either, but I know who you're talking about. Right, when you hear black, on black crime, the rebuttal, the prized rebuttal of all all rights, all lives matter uh, mm-hmm. viewpoint. What, what what does that mean to you? What does black black on black crime mean to you? So, honestly, I think got kind of a a nuanced view on this, right? I don't think that it's purely an indication of different cultures and different and different value systems. I think that's a part of it. Anyway, I think that for a long time the policies that were put in place to help the systemic racism that was a problem here led to basically perpetuated the issues that were going on, right? I think, you know, increasing the welfare state led to increased levels of fatherlessness, Mm -hmm. you know, led to increased levels of poverty and and school dropouts, stuff like that. 
And so I think to me, when I hear black on black crime, I don't think it's an issue specific to black populations, right? Because white on white crime is is the highest for murder. If you look at right. murder rates of, of white people, most of them get killed by white people too, right? Okay. And so it's not like this is something specific to black people. It is something that is more common, more frequent. And I think a lot of that is due to the situations that black people find themselves in, right? I think this is an issue that's more or less specific to impoverished black people, not black people as a whole. Um, For, right? In regards to black and black crime, yes, I agree. Yeah, right. I don't think the the average black suburbanite is going around killing other black people, right? Because it's not something that's inherent in being black, obviously. That's true, right. Um, and I think that that's sometimes a point that's lost on a lot of people that are farther to the right than me. Um, and, I, and I think even to that, now that sounded as straight down the middle as you can that was like if yeah. i if everybody had that perspective it would be a lot it would be a lot easier to mm-hmm. move conversations forward however many people live by the rebuttal of what about black lives matter and then black people or anybody trying to defend it starts getting tongue tongue tied mm-hmm. um and i feel as if i have to reference back to jocko he said um he referenced it to ufc so zach mm-hmm. say for instance me and my friend specific me and my friend jamal we're fighting in a, in a mm-hmm. UFC match <clears throat> and I fight him and we're fighting, we're fighting. And the referee while we're fighting kicks Jamal in the face. Mm-hmm. The issue you can say from depending on what perspective you're looking at, if you're the referee, you can say the issue is these two black people fighting. Mm-hmm. What black, what black, when we say black and black crime, the issue when, when people use black and black crime as a rebuttal, the issue is that the referee can't punch a participating player it messes up the construct you can't be a referee and an attacker it it messes up the trust that you have in the environment is what we're seeing right now in new york with all the crimes and whatnot it messes with the even the correspondence because you can't if you if you played a game where the referee and the opposer was always on your back or you know always not on your side then you don't know who to trust or who to go to and you revert to you know, not using the police as his resources, or there starts to be this shunning of the police force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and honestly, I think we found ourselves in a, in a cycle, right? We found ourselves in a cycle where we've got a situation where there are a lot of impoverished Black people that have a lot of distrust for police, right? And then on the other hand, you've got police that, don't get me wrong, there are absolutely bad and racist cops out there, 100%. They would have to be. It's America. Yeah. We live in a society, like a right. regular. <laughs> For sure. But I think you can have a cop that has doesn't have a racist bone in his body. But when he goes down to whatever, whatever, pick a city here. Right. When he goes there and looks at the crime statistics, he's going to now have preconceived notions of what's going to happen to him when he goes to patrol this area. Right. Yep. And, and it's, you're right. You're right. Right. And so that that leads to that cycle, right? That even if he's not a racist, even if he's not a bad person, he's going to have his hand, hold, you know, hovering over his gun just a little bit sooner because of what has already happened, right? The statistics that are already in play. Right. And that's the exact point that I would want everyone to adopt. If say, for instance, Zach, so in different different minority cities around the country, we noticed that, I think someone, uh, I forgot where, don't quote me on this, uh, they said up, upwards of 60% of the force doesn't come from the city of which they're patrolling. So if your entire life, so say, say for Zach, you've never met a single black person in your entire life, mm-hmm. but you watched the news, Fox News, MSNBC, mm-hmm. the CW11, pick a news station. Yeah. 
every I learned this very young, <clears throat> at least when I was 12, that every time I were to watch the news, someone that looked like me got shot, killed, or murdered someone. Mm-hmm. That doesn't even match up to the percentages that we see as the population. So if you've never seen a black person and all you've ever seen of them was that they rap, smoke, drink, do crime, and sag their pants. And your job as, as, a, as a law protector or law defender is to stop the looting and the, 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 you know, the gang violence and the crime and the murders mm-hmm. for people that sag their pants, play music and curse and drink and all this other stuff. Right. You're gonna be. You naturally develop a prejudice. I think that's all. I think I want people to accept that they have prejudiced views. That it's okay if you are in the majority. It is natural, sociologically natural, for you to have prejudiced and racist views. It is up yeah. to you to address them. That's why I would. I would dare say, if you are growing up white in America, right, traditionally white, not you know lower income, moderate, you know middle income, higher, um, um slightly mm-hmm. up, up, above middle income, you are naturally going to be racist. Until you make the decision to address these issues up front, then you're naturally going to be a racist person. Right. And right. it's not a bad thing until you act upon it. Yeah. And so I think, you know, everything that's going on right now and, you know, the the anti-racism movement and the ideas that, you know, even if you don't think that you're racist yourself, you know, that's not enough. Like there's at the core of it, there's truth in that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the the issue is that there, there needs to be a two-pronged approach to this solution, right? There needs to be an approach with both the non-Black populations addressing these preconceived notions and these thoughts that they have in their head because of how they grew up and because of how the media presented these issues, right? Like you were saying. And there also needs, I mean, look, and, and forgive me if this comes across racist, but there needs to be a culture shift in the Black community too. Mm-hmm. Right. And both of those things need to happen. Right. And the problem that we were just talking about is that cycle that leads that feeds into both of them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you were talking about rap and, and things like that. You know, it's don't get me wrong. I love rap. I listen to Lil Wayne all the time now. Mm-hmm. And I listen to Tupac and Dre and everyone growing up. Right. And so I love hip hop. I love rap. But it glorifies certain aspects of a culture that perpetuate these issues to an extent. Right. It right. glorifies gang banging, it glorifies mm-hmm. drugs, it glorifies violence. And, you know, and, and rap isn't the the root cause, right? I don't want to sound like one of those old stuck up white guys who's just like, <laughs> oh, all that rap. No, because like, it's not. But if you look at other elements, right, you know, the rate of fatherlessness, right? Mm-hmm. The rate of all these things that, again, it's not inherent in blackness, because you'll see a lot of poor white people do the same thing. Right. But I think until those statistics change, a lot of those underlying thoughts won't change either because at the, at the end of the day, stereotypes are rooted in a grain, a single grain of truth. Mm-hmm. And so both of those need to happen. And that's where I take issue with a lot of these more, the, liberal, the more liberal policies and things because I think it goes into that. I don't know if you've heard the term, the, um, the, the something bias of low expectations. It, I don't, I can't remember what the term is off the top mm-hmm. of my head, but it's, it's akin to the subtle racism of low expectations. And it's mm-hmm. this idea that if you give handouts, if you give affirmative action benefits, if you give welfare benefits and things like that, it's on some level claiming that this group of people is less equipped to handle their own problems and less equipped to better themselves unless we help them. Right. Yes. And I, and I agree. Yeah. And if you grow I, up under that, 
If you grow up with that your whole life being told, even if you try as hard as you possibly can, you will fail. You will fail and you will need to be given this handout to be on par with everyone else. I think you're, you're naturally going to gravitate towards, well, why the hell should I try? You know, white, black, whoever you are, you're naturally going to say, well, why should I try if I'm going to fail no matter what? And then you're that much more likely to leave your kid or you're that much more likely to sell drugs or, you know, do violent crime, right? And again, it plays into, both sides play into it, right? And so this is my bias with policy, right? But I think if you were to, I don't know, let, let Black people do what they need to do and stop treating them like babies who can't handle it, I think you'd start shifting that culture a lot sooner than you would with increasing all the handouts. I would say in regards to the handout, so say for instance, I, and I hate to always bring, well, not me, but I hate that it always has to start from here, but if, I, if we were to go on up the, the ladder of life and you were to take, and we were to both, or you and I next to each other, Zach and Brandon, are standing at each other looking up at the stairs, right? Mm-hmm. And every time you gain, you walk up a stair, you have um, ha- a quarter of a house, right? Mm-hmm. And let's say, for instance, I'm at the bottom of the stairs, you take one step. Every four steps, you have a house, right? Right. If you were to take 400 steps up, how off, how well off would I be and trying to open up into a normal world. Like not 40 steps ahead, mm-hmm. but 400 steps ahead. Right. In creating your perfect world and then saying, now you do it. It's not the same stair. You're, you're literally conditioned 200 steps ago. Right. You're now running to someone who hasn't taken their first step. And without that first step in regards to redlining, I think we saw the same podcast in regards to redlining mm-hmm. and many different things that were meant to isolate those first initial steps, the handout, quote unquote, call what you want, the handout is necessary. Someone can call, I've heard people call, um, so I heard, I've heard perspective of people saying that the reparations that Jewish people got were a form of a handout. You can't look at it like that. Clearly you can't, but then I would say you can't look at affirmative action in that same, you have to look at it with the same respect that you would look at uh, Jewish people get for their reparations. Now, in regards to, what was the other point? Because you made a couple points uh, that I wanted to just have forgotten and missed it. Uh, I don't know, black culture. Um, oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So, so no, I don't, I don't hear um, people being judged. Well, I, I did at first, but it's, it hasn't been around maybe in the past 15 years that people who associate themselves with heavy rock or heavy metal, that they have this stigma and they're cast aside or they're told to stop their ways and stop the makeup and stop the tight jeans, stop the disc. That's not perpetuated as much. Like, so if you right. were to look at the guitar greats, the musical greats, we're talking about Kurt Cobain. We're talking about anybody who had Amy Winehouse. Uh, we're talking about, I mean, anybody, that whole 27 curse thing, where they had you know, they were the white lighter, mm-hmm. the 27 yeah. that tend to pass away. But that's not, because it is a majority, because it's based in a majority, you, the, the association isn't there. But when you are detached from, when you're objective, so to speak, when, you, when you're at when you're not in it, and you see this crime, and then you see the music, you think the music is described, you think the music is enabling the crime. When the crime itself is expressed through the music, and the music isn't necessarily bringing it up, it's repeating the history of it. So I would say black people yeah. naturally have a history that's meant to be passed down vocally. They had that back in all the different um, leaders back in uh, Western Africa. But that is how 
they transmit their message and that's how black people has transmitted their message throughout time. That's where the origin of hip hop came from. Right. In that area. And then rap and all these different subsects branched off. But there's no, in regards to the culture itself, yes, there needs to be a change. Yes, and I, I for one, agree to that. There needs to be some type of cultural change. We have many deaths. Uh, one, one example would be an artist called Pop Smoke. He was 20. Uh, he accidentally posted his uh, address. He was in California. He's from Brooklyn. Uh, actually, posted his address in California on Instagram, and they came in and they uh, killed him, killed him, robbed him, all that stuff. Now his album, his uh, you know post death album came out. I couldn't listen to it because it's the same things <laughs> that, that put him in the place now, or he would be of the shooter of that time. You know, granted, I can easily you know take my mind out of it, but it's definitely something we need to address. And the hip hop culture and the hip hop arena has been discussing. It's, granted, it's not you know on CNN or it's not on C-SPAN, but it's definitely being discussed. And a lot of the artists now are starting to take at least steps in trying to address it. But it's difficult to, it's kind of like telling a form of heavy metal to stop. You can't because it expresses expression of a certain type of people. You would have to convince the majority that this minority is okay. And I think that branches out to the country. The country as a whole needs to say, it's okay for this group of people to exist how they exist. And it's okay that they do wrong things. I think America wants black people to be better citizens than white people. That's and fair. And yeah. I don't think that, and I think that itself is unfair. Mm -hmm. You mean they want our music to sound better or sound cleaner or us to dress better and be more representable. But we've looked like that. I mean, in my history books, everybody in the civil rights movement had, had a, uh, had a suit on, but yeah. one person had, someone had a dog eating them and someone was drinking water out of a fire hose. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. not about the look. It's about the principle. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I mean, and you're right, you know, rock, rock had its time where it got a lot of flack, where it got a lot of grief, right? But it, it, after that, it, it died down and it really doesn't anymore, right? It doesn't get any Because they accepted it. Yeah. yeah, they called it, they called it dev, the devil's music. If you were to right. say, if you were to say that ACDC or, yeah. or uh, Van Halen, name a group and call it devil music, mm -hmm. you'd, you'd get, you personally, you might see the devil that day. <laughs> you, yeah. you know what I mean? So right. it's a form of acceptance. So eventually, everyone accepted it. Everyone said it's okay, and it became okay. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And like I said, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like I'm blaming any of the crime on hip hop, on on rap. You know, because at the end of the day, it sounds like the video games cause mass shootings. Argument, right? It's it's bullshit, oh yeah yeah right, yeah. and it's not true. But I think there's a difference between something like Tupac and Juicy J, mm -hmm. right? If you were to look at the, the way that they talk about drugs, right? The way that they talk about girls and the way they mm -hmm. talk about things like that. I think that there's a way to, and, and maybe this is how, and I don't know what happened in, in the rock movement, right? And how things mm -hmm. changed. And it's clearly not quite as overt <laughs> as, as a lot of the stuff in rap. But, but you know, I think that there's, there's ways to express... I guess the, I don't know, I sound like I'm, I'm belittling it. No, 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 I'll, I'll explain part of it. So I'll give you anecdotes and I'll be able to fill in what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, so recently on a podcast with Lil Wayne and 50 Cent, two notable mm -hmm. uh, iconic hip hop figures in, right. in the hip hop industry, was talking about how they had a preference to light-skinned women, specifically exotic women, and then downplaying dark-skinned or African-American women. Mm -hmm. Now, many women had an issue with that, including Little Wayne's daughters, who are happen to be dark-skinned and black. And the question that I had was that I'm pretty sure 
I wasn't dancing to that music in the club. When you like in the in their lyrics, they live these lyrics. So right. I don't understand in the lyrics why exactly it's an issue in the it's not an issue in the lyrics, but in person it's it's an issue. Where it's not an issue if Chris Brown hits women. Right. Like his main followers are women. Yeah. And then he beats <laughs> women. I never understood. That's something that we're also trying to evaluate. Like, there's a recently mm-hmm. there was a um, there was a, I guess a, a parent an alleged shooting between two was it a, a Tory Lanez and a Meg Thee Stallion male and female, and the first reaction was to make fun of the person who got shot instead of casting blame on the person who was alleged to shoot the gun. Whose whose reaction are you talking about? Uh, like in I was general just, or in, in, not not general, just in the in, in the hip hop community. Got it. Got a it. lot of these servers are like you know, like Fifty Cent. Oddly enough, made a reference to her getting shot into a movie where she, uh, the character was shot to death. Mm. That's very bizarre. If you as a as a black man are laughing at someone getting shot, mm. like why exactly? That's that disconnect. But I wouldn't understand someone from the outside to understand this conversation because you're not in yeah. it, so to speak. You know what I mean? Right. So we're working on that dissonance, but we're recovering, hopefully. Well, and I think that's an element of the issue people take with black and black crime, right, is that if we want to come full circle, is that stuff like that then happens to where it almost, well, hold on, I guess, was was that an example of black and black crime? I guess you didn't say. No, 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 that was just an issue of things that are happening within the community that needs to be discussed that, because the whole premise between, I guess, this section of the conversation was that there needs to be a culture shift. And I'm, I'm saying right. that there is a shift. There's more, yeah. there's, there's been a growing shift. Remember, hip hop is only 40 years old. Right. 40 some yeah, years old. This thing just started. The blues <laughs> has been around since everything. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's a development of process. You know, it's not as, at the beginning of any music in America was that was their own, there was no women. Yeah. I did not I can't think of a single woman standing next to Elvis Presley, but the beginning of hip hop had women in it. So there's a different mm-hmm. elements that people would not acknowledge, but everything has its own issues they have to overcome. And in forty years, forty something years, this will easily be absolved, hopefully, in another you know, twenty, thirty years, max. Yeah, no, and you make a good point, right? Maybe my thoughts on hip hop are a little too uh, I don't know, taking one that grain of truth, right, and expanding mm-hmm. it a little too much. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll, 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 I guess I'm exposing the uh, the intricacies of uh, lyricism, but many people, uh, at least the quote-unquote OGs, or what we call the original gangsters, original uh, mm-hmm. uh, trailblazers, they would say that only Jay Z was probably the first person they and they've you know seen artists all throughout the '90s. They say Jay Z was probably one of the few people that actually did what he rapped about. Right. That means there's a whole population of people just writing just to write. As I'm saying, it's not them. It's what they see or what they imagine. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not as, like, you, you, to look at it black and white is to be, it's like someone saying metal music is just them screaming into the microphone. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For you to be able to vocalize yourself, to be able to put on concerts with the same type of grunge metal, black metal, death metal, that type of voice mm-hmm. is, a, is, is a skill that, you know, only... You know what I mean? Only, only the, the greats, the great voices can even pull off. Right. Freddie Mercury is what I was trying to get to. Only his the levels of his level of, of vocal cords can pull off that level, that strength of a voice. But if I were to look at it black and white, it, look, it sounds disgusting. If you were to look at it with intricacies of music and understanding of culture, it's beautiful, just like any other genre of music. But it's very difficult to see that for the first time to a lot of Americans, a lot of, even a lot of parents are like, oh, what is this? Talking about guns and drugs? <laughs> it's not as black and white as that. I get it, 
yeah. I do get, I get your perspective, but it's not, it's not like that. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and don't get me wrong. One of the biggest things I like about hip hop is the lyricism, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, for one, am not a fan of mumble rap. <laughs> I agree. I, I think that it, it loses a lot of what rap was and what it, what made it good, you know? And that's why growing up, I mean, Eminem was one of my favorite rappers because of his lyricism, right? Because of his ability to not only talk about his past and his struggles and stuff, but do it so eloquently, you know, with his, with his words. Yeah. And I think that that does make for a good hip hop artist, right? I think that's an important part of it. And yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see where hip hop is in 40 years, right? Well, well, even, even now, like mumble rap, I guess we're kind of aging out of that generation mm-hmm. where we still think that, you know, Lil Wayne's the best and Jay-Z's the best. Like now, if you ask like a 12 year old, they'll say an artist called Lil Baby's the best. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll hands down say that that person is the greatest of all time. And mm-hmm. we're listening to them like, yo, what are you talking about? <laughs> you sound like nothing. But to them, that's like their pinnacle. Like at first, uh, right. no one was better than Sugar Ray, the sugar, you know, the sugar Hill Gang. Mm. No one's better than Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you know groups like that. Until you know LL Cool J came about, and then no one was as cool. You know, LL Cool J was lame. Like, How can he be lame? To you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. It's cycles. Yeah. So that brings brings up a point that I kind of wanted to touch on at one point. When, mm-hmm. when you reminded me when you brought up Lil Wayne. So I posted a a link on Facebook a while back. I don't know if you remember it or not, but it was Lil Wayne's response to oh, yes. um, George Floyd. <laughs> no, was it? It was about I think the protests, the the protests that ha- happening after George Floyd's murder, uh-huh. and and his response was basically that he had never seen racism in his life, that a a white cop was the one that saved his life. You know when mm-hmm. he tried to kill himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually. And, it wasn't him trying to kill himself. He just made an accident. Oh, okay. Got he it. Was, he was 10. And I think either it was in his foot or accidentally shot himself in the chest. Got it. Okay. But, you know, that it was a white cop that saved him then. And his, his main message, I guess, from in that interview was that people should know more about what they're protesting for, right? And they should know more about what they're talking about. And if you then believe in it, then yeah, absolutely go for it. But I, but that he thought, you know, people were kind of going into it with a, a baseline surface level understanding and then going out and, and protesting or, or what have you. So what's your perspective, I guess, specifically on that, but then more broadly on this idea that certain perspectives, whether they come from someone black, white or whatever, only hurt the argument and set things back. And it ties into the whole idea of like an Uncle Tom, right? And Uncle Tom, who you know, the black conservative or the black person who doesn't believe in systemic racism, the black mm-hmm. person who doesn't believe that a lot of this is justified, you know, that kind of stuff. So I guess, I don't know, I wanted to get your perspective on specifically on Lil Wayne and, you know, what he was saying in that interview, if you know, if you know what I'm talking about. And then right, right, right. more broadly on the whole Uncle Tom concept. Okay. So in regards to Wayne um, and how that story went about, the reason why many people cannot agree with this narrative or agree with his perspective uh first off is because little wayne because okay the form wayne says he doesn't see racism racism doesn't just just didn't just does not exist with cops mm-hmm. right racism is a systematic thing that ekes its way into society in many different facets in regards to what little wayne was talking about when he got you know, shot and you saved by the white cop. That's his savior, his angelic mind, uh, savior complex. He right. can have that, but that same cop can still perform the injustices that we see every day. And I think it's because 
of the the I forgot the actual term. It's one th- one thing about this. I'm trying to use actual terms, but when you have an argument, you just try to combat it. Like that, when Black Lives Matter, then the quick uh, response was all lives. Then that quick response was blue lives. Mm-hmm. So the concept of blue lives matter says we're all in this together. We're all one. Mm-hmm. When Black Lives Matter says that yes, we are all being affected by this because we're all black and then we don't matter. When you have Blue Lives Matter, it puts everybody who rocks that badge confidently underneath everything that happens. Mm-hmm. So if someone, so the, the cops in Buffalo who pushed down the the old man that yeah, yeah. Trump chose to say that was probably Antifa, that he faked it, and he was bleeding out the ears, lost his hearing. Right. He said that was all faked. The issue now with something like that is that the entire department chose to step down in, in support of the officers that pushed the old man down and had him bleeding out the ears. Now, the, in regards to Wayne, that officer can also create, and those officers in that, in that battalion can also create, and in their, I guess, in their uh, training, has created an environment where that can always happen to Black people. So him saying that is strictly anecdotal. Now, in, yeah. a, in a bigger sense, in regards to um, on a larger scale, the idea of an Uncle Tom, <sighs> the, the, I, I should be more versed in its origin, but it was just an idea that this old black character, this caricature, just agrees with whatever the white man says, regardless of how it's affecting its society or how it's affecting the living conditions of that person. So like Terry Crews is being beginning to be called an Uncle Tom because he doesn't understand that there is a broader issue outside of him. Like, if Lil Wayne said, all of this stuff, I personally may not be as aggressive as this, but this thing is still an issue, no one would say anything wrong. Mm-hmm. But when you when you detract from a visible thing that's an issue, like, you would agree that there is some type, regardless of the form, there is some type of racism that exists in America. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Wayne would not, Wayne would be like, no, I've never experienced racism. Yeah. So then him saying that with the millions and millions of people that he could impact and inform, you choose to take this platform and to negate the work that people have been putting in for almost 80 years. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. the issue with people like that. When, when, when Terry Crews says, stop saying Black Lives Matter, it should be banned porn or it should be, like, he, uh, you go on Twitter, he has all these different angles and perspectives. It's it's detracting from what we're actually trying to get done here. And to say these say these perspectives, no, you're not wrong, but it's not aligning with what we're seeing today. Like I can take someone, I could take someone from Germany, put them down here and show them the past 50 years, right? 100 years, call it what you want. There's a lot of things that they will say across the board. But one thing that they won't say is that there's no issue. And people like that, like Wayne and Terry Crews is that they would say that there is no issue and that in itself is an issue. That silence is a form of acceptance. You can still, you can say, you can talk for 10 years and say nothing. Many people have watched President Trump's briefings and got nothing of which they, they were expecting. They're trying to, like, I think recently uh, he, he wanted to get a briefing on COVID and, um, Granted, he did so, but we didn't get numbers. We didn't get, you know, anything of which that would be of substance that you would normally get from a traditional briefing. You spent, what's it, 15, 20 minutes saying nothing, so to speak. So that's that's the issue between, I guess, the Uncle Tom concept and then with Wayne and then Terry Crews. 
Gotcha. I think the the one part that I'll push back on a little bit is the the idea. A lot that, of it. Push back a lot of it. <laughs> I, I think the one thing I'll push back on is that this idea that, and now not speaking about, you know, anecdotally about Lil, Lil Wayne, right? Or, mm -hmm, or other people, because mm -hmm. Lil Wayne's out. A different world, literally a rock star. Right, yeah. And he's he's openly said that he doesn't believe racism exists, right? And right. so so things like that, those are those are exceptions to this. But I would say a lot of people who may be considered an Uncle Tom, right? Or or people who aren't black who hold that belief, right? It's one of two things. It's either a difference in definitions mm -hmm. and understanding of the issue, right? So like I don't believe that there's systemic or systematic racism in the US, even though I agree and acknowledge that there is widespread racism in the U.S., right? And so I think that's one point of contention that people hit is that difference in definition and difference in understanding of what problem is actually being addressed. But then outside of the problem being addressed, I think the, the solutions is the other big thing where if you disagree, not necessarily with the existence of the problem, or even the severity of the problem, but with the solutions that need to be carried out to solve the problem, mm -hmm. I think that garners you maybe not quite as much hate and maybe not quite as much, I don't know, being called an Uncle Tom and things like that. But I think, you know, speaking, I, I can't speak as a Black person, but speaking as a, a conservative, right, I know that a lot of these issues that are talked about are talked about on both sides, right? Sure. You, talk about, you talk about education, right? That's a big one. It's, you know, that inner city schools suck and they lead to poorer outcomes and things like that. Well, the left's approach is affirmative action, right? Or things of that nature, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the right will just as quickly push for something. No, I don't want to, again, I don't want to speak for the whole right or all conservatives, but, right. you know, push for something like charter schools or school vouchers to where just because you live in a poor zip code doesn't mean you have to get a poor education, you know, yada, yada, yada. Right. Um, you know, talking about things like income gaps and wealth gaps and things like that, you know, the, the focus on the solution is placed somewhere else, mm -hmm. right? And I think that in instances like that, I think that's the one, that's the, the biggest instance of someone being called out as, I, I, you see this a lot with Larry Elder, Thomas mm -hmm. Sowell, you know, they'll, they'll speak about these issues and they'll speak about how they're big problems, but we'll propose a more conservative solution for them, right? And then and then get called, you know, Uncle Tom or, or called a sellout or what have you. So I think that's the other big issue I have. And I kind of have it with a lot of, I'll, I'll say younger liberals in general, not all of them. I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but this idea that if you don't, if you're not with us, then you're against us kind of thing, that mentality, right? Like, I absolutely agree that all of these issues that we've talked about need solving, right? We need to solve the education gap. We need to solve the income gap and we need to solve, you know, this culture of uh, implicit biases that exist within people, right? I don't think the way to solve that is the way that Black Lives Matter wants to do that, right? Thank you guys so much for listening. Me and Brandon chatted for a good 30, 40 minutes after this. And so if you want to hear the rest of the conversation, please go to our Patreon account. Patrons will be able to access the full clips for all of our sidebar conversations. And with that, let's go back to closing up this episode. We must talk about this again. Yeah, this was good. And um, there were definitely times where I felt cognitive dissonance and, you know, confirmation bias, things like I talked about in the first episode. I definitely, you know, you definitely gave me a new perspective on hip hop and things like that. 
guy from your perspective understood well I, I guess from the my from the I guess from the short looking at the tall, you can dream of the perspective. You know, yeah. I mean? you can you've been at a tall place before, but the tall has never been at the small before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. I from from my eyes to yours, I'm now seeing it from your lens. And I'm like, oh that's not that's not wrong, but it's just I need you to see it from another way. Not saying how you're seeing it is wrong, but there's a different picture. Mm-hmm. You know what right. I mean? Like we're looking at, like there's two images in this Rorschach, so to speak, you know what I mean? Right, and that's why these conversations are so important, right? It's right. because you can talk about it and then even if you disagree, you can then understand the other person's perspective and you can see why that person on either side, right? One guy says all lives matter, right? Okay, maybe now you can look at it from a perspective, okay, well maybe he's not a, you know, a crazy racist, maybe right. he's saying it from this perspective, right? Or right. vice versa. Now I can look at someone who gets openly angry at the dude who says all lives matter and say, all right, that's more why they're right. getting so angry at that, right? It's because right. this so, is education. Right. So the same way how someone can look at a Black Lives Matter and say, oh, he's wearing that shirt, and then he just broke this guy's store, right, right. with a brick, is the same way how Black people can see a guy coming out of his car screaming all lives matter, take an arrow and start shooting yeah. Black people in the chest. Right. You yeah, see what I'm saying? Yeah, there's shitty people everywhere, right? There, right. And there's going to be crappy people on, in Black Lives Matter. There's going to be right. crappy black people, crappy white people. Right. And, you know, so anyway, I think that's that's why these conversations are so important. And, you know, I know that we're we're touching on some touchy topics. We're touching on some things that are going to instinctively draw up a lot of emotion from people. Mm-hmm. And so I guess before we stop, I want to make it clear that that's not the intent, right? The intent of these isn't to piss any of you off, anyone off. No, not at all. Not to, it's not to have you judge either one of us for our views or to judge each other for their views, right? It, me and you aren't sitting here debating. Not We're not no. trying to prove the other wrong or point out what is stupid about the other's no. argument. But I think it's important to have these conversations so that then you can strengthen that stance and that argument that you have right now, if I have this conversation again with someone, I'm probably not going to bring up the fact that hip hop plays into the culture of, right? Because <laughs> right? like, right, it's something that I had a, a vision and a view of it, but you know, it was flawed right now. Do I completely, absolutely alter, not. <laughs> right. Right. Do I completely alter my view? No, I still hold a lot of my beliefs, mm-hmm. right. But eh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame hip hop quite as much, right? Right, and and, and I don't serve as Webster. You know, I'm not. You know, yeah. I'm not a. But I, I look at from for what I have to offer in con, in conversations like this is mm-hmm. more like a connotative encyclopedia, mm-hmm. not a. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not a, a black and white version, but I can paint a different type of gray that you haven't seen on a black or white canvas. This is why this is so important, right? And not just for Black Lives Matter, not just for not just for these touchy subjects, but for everything, right? It's we gotta keep talking, we gotta keep having these conversations. I wish I could list multiple other instances where I was able to discuss something as heated as Black Lives Matter and have it go this well and this peacefully, right? We talked about the organization, the streets, the saying. There's a lot that we left out. There's a lot that we didn't touch on. I'm sure there was a lot of ignorance still in a lot of the points that we made. Again, this isn't meant to be an all-encompassing educational episode on Black Lives Matter, right? This is to serve as the template 
to discussing these things, right? Yeah. You talk and you just keep talking, right? Yeah. And you allow, you allow conversation to flow and you allow the respect that you have for who you're talking to to fill in the gaps that you may not understand. Right. So at different parts, I may not understand uh, what, what, my, what my buddy is explaining, but I trust that he will use his best conversion skills. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. best way to communicate to allow, uh, allow it to happen. And that's, I think that's the least that any of us could ask for, just to open up the possibility of a conversation because you never know what could come from it. All right. Thank you to anyone who listened in on this first sidebar conversation we had. I uh, hope you enjoyed it and hope that either mine or Brandon's perspective helped broaden yours at least a little bit. Right. And, and also, if you want to definitely join in more and encourage the conversation or reintroduce the conversation, we have these regularly programmed. So you can just come on, join us, and it will really flush out this conversation. We can really have a collective mindset and a way we can approach this through conversation. Yeah, for sure. So our next live discussion is going to be Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern. We already got through, you know, introducing the podcast and all that boring stuff, right? So we're going to just briefly introduce the topic and then jump right into discussion. We're going to be talking about Supreme Court's decisions on employment law and how that factors into the freedom of religion. But like Brandon was saying, you know, if you listen to this episode tomorrow and then you decide that, hey, Zach or Brandon said something that I have a question about, or I want to talk about, or I want to bring that back up and flesh it out a little more, right? Bring it up, bring it up and we can talk about it. It doesn't matter that it doesn't necessarily relate to religion or, or SCOTUS's decisions, you know, it's, right. nor does it have to be politically correct. Right. Yeah. And so, so bring it up, join us for the conversation and bring a friend. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Bring a friend. So our goal, right, we had seven live listeners total last time. I'd love to see 14, right? If we could get 14 live listeners, then that would be amazing. And if we could get, what, if we had maybe two or three people chime in, if we can get four or five, phenomenal. If we don't, we don't, but fingers crossed, right? Of course, of course. So thank you again for listening. Hopefully you learned something about having these conversations from this conversation. And so with that, We'll call it a day. Thank you so much. Have a nice day, guys.